with single brothers, you know, you can learn some things from them. Um, but I have, um, he's, he's served in the ministry for 30 years as well. Wow. Uh, for quite a while. And so they've been in Greensboro for the past 16 years. They've, about 16 years, right? And so they've, they've planted ch- churches in many places and traveled to many places. Guam is one of those places as well. And um, they have uh, two children, uh, two adult children, I should say, uh, Sam and Phoebe. And um, and so there's just a lot of experience that they have that they're about to. Uh, well, you guys heard from Sarah yesterday. Yeah. Women heard from Sarah yesterday. Yeah. And so it's just so much experience to share with us. And so I'm looking forward to hearing Dave. And and um, later on, I have some a few more things to say. You know that I have always have some. Things. So um, David. Looking forward to hearing you, brother. Come on up. Word. Come on up, brother. Amen. All right. Uh, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Uh, oh, umaga. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Tagalog, if you guys didn't know. Uh, it is great to be here. Uh, it really is an honor uh, for us to be here. Sarah and I... Uh, just a little bit about us. We've been in uh, extremely large churches uh, with groups of 1,500 uh, for us. And then we've been in a lot of small churches where uh, we took just nine people to go to Guam. And uh, any day of the week, I will take a small church. Amen. Uh, relationships, the hearts, uh, the genuineness in a small church is unlike any other. Amen. Uh, it's so easy to get lost in a large church. Uh, and I know a lot of times we dream of, oh, we want a church of, you know, 10,000. I'm like, no, no, I, I actually don't. Uh, you can let somebody else do that. I will move. Uh, we we currently are serving in Greensboro. When we got to Greensboro, there was only about 50 people uh, in Greensboro. Very, very exciting. Currently, we have about 200. Uh, and I actually let the church know, yeah, I mean, we're, we've been growing. Uh, which is great, but I didn't let the church know. I was like, look, you got me just for a little while longer, uh, and I want to go serve in a small church again. So we can either, A, uh, plant churches so we shrink and we can grow uh, that way, or uh, you guys can hire somebody else and I can go and serve somewhere else. Because uh, I, I do. I, my heart is for the small church. Uh, and you guys, it's incredible what I see here. Uh, from the moment we got here, we have felt nothing but warmth. We have felt nothing but uh, a relationship, a camaraderie in Christ. Uh, and it's one of the things I appreciate about these two the most is just their genuineness. Uh, you guys are very, very lucky. Uh, to have them here because they are extremely genuine people uh, and they're they're very similar to Sarah and I. I think that's probably why we get along and laugh so much. It's just what you see is what you get, you know. And uh, there really is not a whole lot more to it than that. Uh, so I won't go through everything, but thank you uh, for allowing us to be here and taking some time. Thank you for uh, bringing my wife in to speak. I know she was so excited about that. You really made her year uh, this way. So uh, your church setup is actually perfectly. Uh, I, you know, you guys, it's always good for me to know when I come to a new place that if you don't like me and you start throwing things, I've got the skate rock. <laughs> you guys, this is perfect, perfect. Okay, uh, 
A uh, little bit about us. That's my family. <laughs> what do you mean? That's a perfect picture. I love these pictures. No, Sarah never lets me show these pictures. I just show them anyway. Uh, but, uh, that, that's, that's my family right there. Uh, is that better, Sarah? Okay. Am I, am I allowed to come home? <laughs> okay, great. Uh, so, a little bit about my family. Uh, I always tell people we have uh, a child that we really, really love. And we have another. So, uh, I always let them fight over who is who. Uh, but I will say this. Uh, this is my son who married uh, Susie. Uh, currently, she is our favorite because she's the only one that actually chose to be a part of our family. <laughs> so, this is my daughter. Uh, and I'm not allowed to spend too much time. In the past, I spent too much time telling people uh, that she is young, beautiful, single, and she makes a lot of money. <laughs> excited that you guys are talking about connections, Amen. Uh, about one another relationships. When Janie said that, I was like, ooh, man, that is perfect. Why? Because this is my, truly, it is my favorite thing to talk about uh, when it comes to the Bible, is one another relationships. Uh, I think from the very beginning to the very end, the whole book is about one thing, and it's about relationships. Uh, and so if you are just pulling out the one another passages, I think you're going to miss the big picture of what relationships are all about. So I'm going to start kind of in the very beginning. But before I do that, there's two things that I have to do. The first thing is Tim Kidwell. For those of you that know Tim Kidwell, uh, he told me to greet the church here. Uh, so uh, I send greetings uh, from the Kidwells. And Daryl Speed uh, told me to greet those of you that know him. <laughs> uh, Daryl is a Birmingham boy, and he rolls tide or whatever he does with that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he rolls, I don't know, it's like a box of time going down the road. That's all I could ever see with that. I, I don't know, I don't understand all that stuff. So. Uh, but there we go, I did my duty, I have greeted uh, you guys properly. There we go. Alright, so, uh, but as we start, I wanted to show you a video to start off, okay? Time to get that multitasking, 100 billion neuron connecting, priority arranging segment of your wonderfully constructed brain to contemplate this. Ever wonder how many handshakes take place in a day? How many hugs happen? How many one-to-one face-to-face -one -face conversations go on? What about glances, kisses, laughs, and prayers? Ways we connect. And you, right there, right now. How are you connecting to the person next to you? The people around you? Your friends, your enemies, the strange dude at the mall? How about the movies you watch, the books you read, the messages all around you? And how do you connect differently than people connect in the past. So many thoughts, ideas, blogs, texts, posts, and tweets these days. Everybody wants to connect to someone or something. And the world wide web of intersection and connection has changed everything. Get this, one out of eight couples married in the U.S. in 2008 met through social media. Unfortunately, half will be divorced in five years, connected and disconnected. There are over 500 million active Facebook users who spend over 
700 billion minutes per month clicking, posting, uploading, and downloading. An average user is connected to 80 community pages, groups, and events, and each person creates 90 pieces of content each month. Folks got a lot to share, a lot to say. So much that the average user spends 55 minutes per day, 6.5 hours per week, or about 1.3 full days per month on Facebook. And that's just people sitting around home, because more than 200 million are on Facebook through mobile phones nowadays, because long lost are the days of landline phones, busy tones, and yeah, Davy Jones. And speaking of cell phones, in 2004, 674 million were sold, which is 105 million less than the 779 million sold in 2005, which is nothing compared to the almost 4 billion sold in the last three years. Some people in the world who don't have toilets or houses have cell phones. People really want to connect. But wait, there's more. One trillion text messages were sent in 2008, 1.5 trillion in 2009, and then it went up to 6.1 trillion just recently. That's a thousand texts per person for every person on the planet. That's a lot of connecting. Yet this hasn't even scratched the surface. There's over 50 million tweets per day, over 60 million LinkedIn people, and 43 million people still visit MySpace per month. Then there's however many millions on Neem, Tag, Meetup, Bebo, My Yearbook, and Friendster looking at everything from posts to pics to video. Speaking of which, it would take you over 27 years without sleeping to watch all the videos uploaded on YouTube just this week. Everybody wants to connect. Connect with a friend. Connect with family. Connect to the past. Connect to the future. Connect to God. Connect with God. The one who created connections, voices, images, ears, eyes, smiles, kisses, glances, faces, friends, music, color, stars, electricity, light, laughter, and love, just to name a few. Connect with him? And what does that mean? Well, you connect the dots. Wow. You know, this video is several years old at this point. TikTok's not even out there. Uh, it's, it's insane how much people want to connect. It is. It's insane how much people want to connect. And we think that, oh, you know what? I don't know if I can meet somebody. Are you kidding me? You know, people are dying to meet people. They want to connect. They are waiting for people to come and connect with them. That is the world that we live in. And I'm gonna walk around, is that okay? Yes. Alright. So that's the world that we live in. You know that people want to connect, and that's where I wanted to start with us today. In the Bible, uh, we're gonna to go to the very beginning. Alright? This is my favorite story in the Bible. You know, interestingly enough, it's not Jesus. My favorite story in the Bible is the creation, because that's what we were created to be. Uh, when it talks about the ministry of reconciliation, what are we being reconciled to? You know, a lot of people, well, we're being reconciled to God, we're being reconciled to Jesus. No, we're actually being reconciled to the garden, to who we were supposed to be back then. And when we can understand a lot of this stuff, it makes it clear for us. So I spend a lot of time in the garden, guys. I do. Uh, and I preach out of it a lot. So uh, that's what you're getting this morning. Amen. Why said the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it to take care of it? The Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Okay. Now, one of the things I want us to take note of is this is before the fall. right? Yep. This is before sin entered the world. And if you remember reading through Genesis chapter 1, it said God made this and it was 
Good. Exactly. Very so, good. Very good. A lot. Sometimes it does say it says very good. And so that that's just, you know, all this stuff is good. But even before the fall of man, yeah. God said there was something that wasn't good. Right. Now isn't that interesting? Yes. And it wasn't sin. What was it? Marlins. That's right. Wow. It wasn't good for man to be alone. Well, that begs another question. Was man alone? Was man alone? No. 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 Well, who was with man? Okay, God was with man, right? So, what was God saying? It's not good for man to be alone. Need a helper. A suitable helper. That's what it says. That man actually needs a suitable helper. We need this. God exposes man's greatest need. What is that? Connection. One another relationships. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because as a minister, I meet a lot of people. You know, I talk to a lot of people, and if I talk to a lot of people, my wife talks to about 100 million more than I do. <laughs> That's who she is. She, you know, all the time, every day, all everywhere. We'll get into that in a minute. So, uh, but we need relationships. And as I meet a lot of people, one of the things that I hear a lot of times is, well, I've got God. It's just me and God. But God said it's not good. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. It's not, it's he's not saying that he doesn't want us to have a relationship with him. That's not it at all. But he's saying if that's your only relationship, it's actually not good. You need people. Yeah. You need people in your life. So much so that God had to put him to sleep, rip a rib out of him, and grow new people. Mm. <laughs> That's how far God was willing to go to create a relationship for man. Amen. Amen. It's pretty amazing, actually. Now, in Genesis chapter 2, it goes on. The man, he gets presented. He says, you know, uh, this shall be woman. This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. She was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. All right? I think this is something that we've all heard, right? Uh, we use this a lot. It's the uh, the covenant of marriage, and it's the bonding, the coming together. The, uh, the they will become one flesh, and I love that word "become." You know, the verb. It's an action. You know, and it's not an action that was ever meant to stop. That whole becoming process lasts as long as you guys are alive. Wow. You know, and I love that. That's what marriage is all about. It's never supposed to be, you know, uh, you get married and then that's it. No, it's a, it's an aspect of lifelong relationship and change and growing. And we'll talk about how that works. Uh, it says the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. You know, for years, for years, this was my question. Right. Seriously, what? You know, I get the coming together. 
two becoming one, but what's that whole naked thing about? Right? I, I don't, I didn't, for years I didn't get that. You know, why did God put that in there? These are the questions that continue to drive me in my relationship with God. You know, I actually have more questions about the Bible than I do answers. That's the truth. I am wrestling with God all the time. I am constantly asking God, what does this mean? You know, I don't get it. Now, who am I? What is it? What is this all about? And people come to me for answers, you know, and they're, well, what does this scripture mean? My favorite answer for them is, I don't know. I got no idea. You're going to have to get in there and wrestle, and then let's, let's do it together and help me figure this out. You know, there's a lot of things I do know, but man, there's so much I don't know. I have no clue. You know, and I tell the church all the time, I don't know why you guys employ me because I'm just, I have no clue what I'm doing. Uh, what was the reason to put the naked in there? Well, this is one of the things that I, I learned as I was studying through culture, studying through Judaism, uh, that there's a couple aspects of naked. It has nothing to do with the birthday suit. All right? This had everything to do with understanding the basis for relationship. All right? There are two aspects of naked. There is transparent and there is vulnerable. And you know what? I'll bet you you mix these up all the time or you misuse them quite often. Because the Bible says that the two, they, they stood before one another naked. You know, and if all you're ever looking at is the physical, you're missing the meaning of the scripture. Naked is talking about who we are in a relationship, who we are as a person standing before God, standing before our spouse, and honestly standing before our brothers and sisters. We need transparency. We need vulnerability. Amen. Transparent. What does it mean? It means open from an outflow perspective. Okay? It is voluntarily allowing people to see through to the inside of who you really are. And with this, communication is actually the key. Yeah. And I want to tell you a story about my wife. Now, uh, and this really is key. I want you to understand this. Transparency is outflow. You know, when something is transparent, you can see through it, right? And so for us, it's outflow. It's allowing people to know who we are. My wife is actually really good at this. I'm a guy. Okay? Uh, If you want to know something, I'm a guy, all right? I will tell you about sports. I can tell you about uh, my job. I can tell you. I mean, there's a few things that I'm really good at. Uh, and anger is actually one of them. You know, I mean, it just it's, it flows out. This is how I communicate. Uh, I had to learn how to communicate for my wife. She was an excellent, excellent teacher of communication. Because honestly, guys, we got to admit something. We're pretty thick. Yeah, yeah. We're not good at being transparent. Yeah, not at all. I actually have a uh, an adage for uh, parents. Uh, when you're raising children, especially if you have boys. Right? This is one thing that you're going to learn. If you have one boy in the room, you have one brain. <laughs> if you have two boys in a room, I don't know what happens, but now you have half a brain. <laughs> when you get three boys in a room, there is no brain at all. I'm telling you, boys do the dumbest things. They get in the worst trouble. This is who we are. 
And you know what? It doesn't go away. Men create the most problems in this world. All right? And I fully admit that. Seriously, women, I don't know why you're not rolling everything. You should be. Men get in trouble. We need the help from our wives to understand transparency. Amen. Sarah was really good at this. Actually, she offended me the very first time I met her. Did you tell them that? No. So, uh, in Hawaii, she was one of the first people I met when I came to church. And my wife is from New York. Right? And when she moved to Hawaii, she was still very much New York. Right? And so, uh, she came up to me and stick your hand up. She came up to me like this. Hi, my name's Sarah. What's your name? You know, I'm like, whoa, weirdo, weirdo. <laughs> I don't know what happened, but uh, I uh, I was engaged at the time that I was uh, studying the Bible. I had to break up with my uh, my you know potential wife, and it was good. That was a very bad relationship. Uh, and it was several months later. Uh, a friend of mine, Kip Harms, Kip and Bethany, uh, they convinced uh, Sarah to take somebody out on a date, and, uh, and it was me. Uh, I was, she was my very first Christian date, and I will tell you, this is truly God's truth, is I looked at her at dinner, and I knew that this was the person I was going to marry. Wow. Really? I fell in love with the weirdo at church. <laughs> <laughs> but as time goes on, you know, we start dating, and uh, things start happening, and uh I am, I'm a military guy. I was in the Air Force at the time, and uh, I, I didn't know how to be open and share my feelings and my heart. And she's teaching me this whole time uh, how to be open with who I am and truly transparent uh, because she wanted to know me from the inside. And one day we were sitting in a park, and this is when we were getting close to getting engaged. And we're sitting at a park called Al Moana. It's right down by the beach oh, yeah. uh, in Hawaii. Beautiful, right? You know, and we're sitting out on a park in Magic Island, and uh, and she looks at me, and she's got to tell me something. And she looks at me right in the eyes, and she starts talking about her uh, her health, really. And she told me, she says, uh, she got her period when she was 13 years old, and women do this. It never stopped. From the day she started bleeding, it never stopped. And she literally was the bleeding woman in the Bible. You know, that was the truth. And the doctors told her she had what was called a multifaceted uterus. So only a piece of her uterus would shed and bleed. And so, and it kept going around and around like that. And part of the problem with that was the doctors told her she would never have children. And she had to come to me and talk about you know, if you want me, and, and, and it was hard because she talked and she was like, I'm broken. I can't present a whole woman to you. And she was so transparent with who she was, it literally broke my heart. And it was one of those God moments, though. It was one of those God moments because in the back of my head, God said, don't worry. That's not the truth. 
But because she was willing to be transparent and and really let her whole self out there, we got so close because of that. She's an amazing woman. And like I said, she doesn't hold anything back. Literally, nothing. You guys, everywhere we go, she's talking to people. And I mean everywhere, and I have proof. Okay, I want to show you. You know this morning? <laughs> What's her name? I don't even remember. <laughs> you, don't, you don't remember either. So we're going, this is in the hotel. We're, we're sitting down for breakfast. You don't understand. Sarah sat right here with two strange men. <laughs> I'm sitting over there. <laughs> she looks at the guy and she starts speaking Italian to him and he starts speaking Italian back and she pulls out the chair and she's having breakfast in Italian with two strange men. I see them exchange phone numbers. This is who I'm married to. I've just gotten used to it. Alright. So. Keep going. There we go. Now, so transparent, right? Is outflow. Now we got to talk about the other thing. Vulnerability. Yeah, man. Vulnerability, and this is the one we miss uh, speak a lot of times. Because we talk about who they shared from a very vulnerable place. No, actually, that's not true. That's a very transparent place because it's the outflow. Vulnerability is open from an inflow perspective. It means allowing yourself to be shaped by another. That's what vulnerability means. Okay? Talk to any engineer. They will let you know. Vulnerability is about how something on the outside affects what's going on on the inside of this one. Mm. That is vulnerability. Mm. And this is one of the things that we actually need in our lives. Vulnerability. If we're going to have one another relationships. Alright? Let me tell you a story about a man. His name is Dave Weaver. You know Dave? Yeah. Oh. You know Dave? Yeah. We do. I mean, just fantastic man. I love Dave Weaver. We served in the ministry in San Francisco together. And at that time, uh, San Francisco had about like 28 or 2,800 or 3,000 people uh, within the church. You know, so it was a big church. And Sarah and I were in Oakland, California at that time. And uh, so we're serving in the church. And back then, you know, how things were done, it wasn't necessarily good. And I wouldn't do it the same way, but it did teach me a very valuable lesson. We had back then what was called the hot seat. You guys ever remember being in the hot seat? And we, we all, our staff, we had like 50 guys on staff. And so everybody would take turns sharing about the person in the hot seat. Yes. So one day I was in the hot seat. And we start. And it just goes around the room. And every man in there is taking a turn sharing about what's wrong with me. 
You know, and what was really sad about it is, honestly, 90% of them didn't really know me. You know, so they're speaking, I don't know where they're speaking from. And so, the first couple, you know, you can go, oh, all right, yeah, I see that. Oh, okay, yeah, I see that. Okay, maybe that's, you know, but when you get to about 20, my posture went from to, you know, I get down to 49, and Dave was sitting right next to me. And I, I, I get down to the end, and he can see me. I'm just sitting there. I'm, I'm, I mean, I got a scowl on my face, and I'm looking at guys like, come on, bring it. I dare you. I dare you. Because when it comes time for you to be Nazi, it's time find something. And Dave, he, he looked at me. I mean, he just he looked at me up and down. He just went. And this is what he said. You don't see this as love, do you? Then he goes, hmm. And then that was it. He stopped. Wow. You know, I don't know a single thing that was said in that room other than that. Wow. That cut my heart. I realized I was not willing to be born. (laughs) And it was so short. And honestly, you got to know Dave. He is the softest, most loving oh, guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he just looks at me, and he was broken. When he said this to me, he was like, you don't see this as love, do you? And it cut my heart. All of those other things, <laughs> they didn't affect me at all. But I learned a very, very valuable lesson about vulnerability that day. That I have got to be willing to let other people mold me if I'm truly going to have a relationship with them. Now, like I said, I don't think that's the way to do it. I don't think 50 guys tell me what you need to change. That's not the way to do it. But I did learn that mm, I need someone in my life that will mold and shape me to be more like Jesus. I think one of the things that most people fight, they don't want, why? Because it's it's uncomfortable. Yes. When I'm being molded, it's uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, we've got a rule in our house that when Sarah wants to talk to me, this is what she does. Come here, honey. <laughs> when she does this, I know she wants to hold my hand. And when we're in the house and she wants to hold my hand, I know she wants to tell me something about me. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, oh. <laughs> And then she's what she does. She's like, honey, come here. Honey, honey, come here. Come here. And finally, you know, she corners me somewhere. And I'm like, all right, here. And it's fucking. You got to try it. It's amazing. When you need to talk to your spouse, hold their hand. Because the first thing that you want to do when you are at odds with somebody is you want to do what? You want to run. You want to hide. And so what she does is she comes to me and she puts both hands and she says, No, honey. (laughs) Yes. And this, I don't know what it does. 
But when you're touching, there's something magical about how it makes your heart melt. Yeah. And it, all my defenses go down. I can't get mad at her. I can't be defensive. I can't say, no, that's not me. I just accept what she says. And I said, you know what, I'll work on it. Amen. So thank you very much for letting me. Vulnerability is hard. So when JD is chasing you around, brother, come here, brother. <laughs> And here's the point of that. Then you can truly be naked with no shame. You know, my wife knows everything about me. And when I say everything about me, I mean everything about me. My wife knows exactly the type of woman that I struggle with. Because I tell her. My wife knows in church what woman that I cannot be alone with. I absolutely can't be alone with. She knows that. You know, it's not that I'm afraid that I'll do anything. It's just that I never want to put myself in a situation like that. She knows that. My wife knows when we go to the beach. She's so funny. We go to the beach, and this is what my wife does. We'll be sitting there. I'll be reading a book, and and she'll say, Honey, can you put lotion on my back? Like, we're under an umbrella. What do you want? Whatever. You know, so I get up. I go get the lotion, and I... I'm putting it on her back, and and, and and then I get it, and she says, okay, that's good. You know why? Because two very women that I would struggle with are walking by on the beach, and she wants to make sure that I don't struggle. Amen. Amen. I love that, Bob. She doesn't, you must have after somebody. You know, a lot of people. How would you look at another woman? Because I'm a guy. I mean, I, what do you want me to say? Men will struggle with lust until the day they die. If you think your man doesn't, come talk to me afterwards and we're going to have to make an arrangement to talk. <laughs> it is just one of the things. Men are very visual. Sarah understands that. I don't want to be with another one. Ever. This is the one that I chose. Amen. Hey. Years ago, and you ladies, you heard this yesterday, my wife was diagnosed with cancer about 10 years ago. Breast cancer. And it went from the very front all the way to her chest wall. So there was no saving the breast. And so she had a double mastectomy. That affected me. So much so that I had to stand up before the church and say, all right, guys. My wife had a double mastectomy. And I very much like her breasts. So you are going to have to hold me accountable, really, for the rest of my life. Wow. Because I never want to stray. I never want to uh, look away. This is the woman that I want to be devoted to. And still today, I have brothers coming to me saying, are you doing okay with that? Amen. 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 Come on, bro. Because I put it out there saying, I want you to mold and shape me. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Yeah. All right, I'm going too long. I apologize. Come on. Awesome. Right. Amen. All right. Oh, no, back. Nope, forward. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Okay, now, the servant was more crafty than the other wild animals the Lord God had made. Said the woman, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? 
The woman said to the serpent, You may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will surely not die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, and good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and she ate it. Uh, she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he gave. See, the serpent knew what he was doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The best way to bring destruction to a relationship is what? Distrust. Okay, that's really, really close. Go. No. 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 You know, it, it, all it took was it, a lot of people think Satan's going to come with, you know, all of these grand temptations for you. No, he, he doesn't need to. You're easier than that. Mm-hmm. Trust me. All it takes is for him to put a little doubt in you. That's right. That's all it takes. Yeah. Just put a little doubt in your mind. Wow. And then you are off and running. And that doubt rolls and it snowballs and it gets bigger and bigger. And you see it in that conversation. You just put a little bit of doubt in there and then it started to snowball and it got bigger and eventually it leads to sin. Yeah. You know, and she even, she was like, well, God did say not to, to eat of it or even touch it. Is that what God said? Don't touch it? No, God didn't say don't touch it. He didn't. You could have used that for football. He didn't care. As long as he didn't eat it, that's all that he cared about. But she added, and she was like, well, but you can't touch it. Is that what you're doing? And so it's creating this doubt pattern, and it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger to the point where she grabbed fruit and she ate it, and then she gave some to her husband, and he ate it. And what did that do? It brought sin into the world, right? And that's how our relationships get destroyed. When you create that doubt, sin is the inevitable choice. For Eve, the sin was disobedience. For me, it's typically pride. <laughs> Or selfishness, or anger. Those things I'm quick. You know, I got buttons. I got buttons. You know, and my son and daughter-in-law, uh, so Sam and Susie, uh, they live in a little condo that Sarah and I own. And one of the deals was uh, no pets. Right? We don't want any pets. They mess everything up. Uh, no pets. And so Susie's from uh, New Jersey, and. <laughs> this was just about uh, three months ago or so, four months ago. Uh, they come home and a little dog jumps out of the car. <laughs> and I, this is what I said. Sarah was all excited, and I said, "You better figure out what to do with that." And I went in the house and I closed the door. <laughs> they pushed my "Oh no, you didn't!" button. <laughs> And I have one of those. Oh, no, you didn't. That's one of my buttons. I didn't talk to him for a week. I was inside. (laughs) Seriously. In my head, I was daring him to come upstairs upstairs, try to talk to me. I'm not kidding you. That's how I felt. That's how I felt. Come on, I had to call people. I said, I'm angry. I really, I feel so disrespected by my kids. I said no pets. They came home with a pet. What do I do? You know, and then my daughter was in town, 
staying with them. And then Susie's sister was also in town staying with them. And so everybody sees my reaction. Everybody sees my sin. They, they know exactly what's going on. And it took me about a week to talk to them. And I got a ton of advice. One of the brothers was like, you should have picked them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I didn't make them. Amen. But I did go up and talk to them, and I said, "One, hundred percent sorry. It took me too long to come talk to you. That's my dad. That's my sin, and I really apologize for that. I was angry, and I had to get a lot of advice. I felt very disrespected by you guys." And Susie looks at me and she goes, I didn't know. Sam said it was okay. I said, I know this was all about my media inside. <laughs> nothing on you, sweetie. Yeah, no brain. Exactly. And one guy in a room, no brain. That's my son. He's getting his doctorate in here right now. And like, uh, you're a very smart idiot. <laughs> but I had to work it out with And then in the end, as I was being open in the end, I had to be transparent, or in, I was being transparent, and then I had to be vulnerable and say, is there anything that I could change so that we could do this better in the future? Mm-hmm. And I had to allow them to shape me, mm-hmm. and it hurt, because they had some things to say, but it, it couldn't be relationship if it was only one way. Yeah. The eyes of them are open, we're coming to close here. Uh, they showed big things together and made coverage for themselves. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the pool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God from among the trees in the garden. Okay? So, back. Alright. Oh, yeah. Alright. So, here we see sin, it creates separation, right? And that's what sin does. The whole purpose of sin, if, just in case you didn't know, is to separate. That's it. Sin's purpose is to separate. This is a Bible study we do with our teens. It's like, look, this is, this is what sin does. It separates. One, us from God. Two, us from each other. And three, us from ourselves. And as the story goes, so uh, they hear God coming after they sin. They hear God coming. What do they do? They hit That's right. You know, what was the first thing that they did when their eyes were open? They realized that they were naked and did what? Yeah, exactly. The first thing that happened was, number two, sin separated them from each other. They're like, And then it separates them from God, and then it actually works on us inside because it brings insecurity, it brings that doubt, and it separates us from the true us inside. That's what sin does. Now, but the Lord God called the man, where are you? Right? Question, can we hide from God? Are you sure? We can try, right? If you think you can hide from God, you need to have a better God because no, God is everywhere. He knows everything. He can do anything. So, did God not know where they were? Did God not know? Was God confused about where they were? That's a better way to say it. <laughs> no, God wasn't confused about where they were. God knew exactly where they were. That's why he walked close to them. Why the question? Where are you? 
What's that? Where have you allowed yourself to go? Okay, where have you allowed yourself to go? Okay. See, this is why he's your minister. <laughs> God was giving them the opportunity. Look, God's grace is evident here. He's inviting them back into a relationship. Where are you? They've had a choice now. They could have stayed hidden and not said anything. That would have said a lot to God, right? But he's out there saying, okay, where are you? He's inviting them back into relationship. We must step back into transparency and vulnerability for relationship to work. Maybe that's our responsibility. When God says, where are you? It's not like he didn't know. But he understood that I've got to give them the opportunity to choose relationship. You know, he doesn't come around the corner going, ha, gotcha! Mm. But you know, we're that way a lot. That's not how God does things. He asks a question. You know, it's interesting because the next sin problem that he encounters, same thing. Where's your brother? Allowing Cain an opportunity to come back into relationship, and yet did Cain choose that? No, he did not. Cain was not transparent, and therefore he was not vulnerable. Adam, Eve, they were transparent. They actually came out from behind and said, here we are. We were afraid, and we hid from you. Why were you afraid? Again, another question. Another opportunity for transparency. We were afraid this is why. Who told you you were naked? Did you eat from the tree? Well, then... Oh. <laughs> that started happening. Yeah. yeah. But see, here's the other thing that happened. Is they not only stepped into transparency, they stepped into vulnerability. Amen. Because they allowed God to mold and shape them at this point. And that's when God said, look, because you did this, now you are going to have to toil. You are going to have pain in childbirth. And your desire will be for your husband. And you're going to worry about your kids and Satan for all of your life. Yeah. You know, that's a lot on the ladies there. The curse. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's big. But they allowed themselves to be molded. Sin still needs to be dealt with. And it's hard. And it's painful. But it still needs to be dealt with. Amen. So, Amen. my challenge for you guys, as we go into communion, I want you to think about this. There's two sides to this coin. One, how do I react when people are trying to help me? When we see relationship and we understand transparency and we understand vulnerability, how do we add when people are trying to draw us out? Do we willingly go, all right, this is who I am. Yeah, I messed up. And this is where I messed up. I'm sorry. Or do we fight it? You get back and you're all defensive and you're like, all right, here we go. And then the second thing is, how do I try to help and repair relationships? 
Am I like God? Am I gentle? Do I afford people the opportunity to come back in? Or am I trying to force? And see, a lot of times that's what we do. We're the ones that jump around the tree and go, I got you! You're a rat! And we try to force relationship with people. And you know what? God doesn't do that. He's not forcing one another relationships. He wants us to volunteer to be in one another relationships. Amen. So guys, it has truly been an honor. Amen. I know I had a lot to say. This is my favorite subject. If I would have picked another one, I would have been shorter, I promise. <laughs> Great this stuff. is my favorite topic. Amen. We desperately need relationships. Yes. Amen. And when God said it's these relationships, it's this love, it's this one another that shows the world that, wow, you guys are really different. See, that is what he's talking about. Amen. He's talking about transparent people. He's talking about vulnerable people. He's talking about people that are willing and they sacrifice to be involved in each other's lives. This is what made the cross so powerful. Jesus said, I'm willing to go to the cross so that you guys can be this. Let's not waste that opportunity. Amen. Amen. Father, you truly are a mighty God. You are so powerful. You have created the universe, God. It's just a, uh, an afterthought in Scripture where it says, and he created the stars. You know, Sarah and I visited the planetarium yesterday talking about the, the, the trillions, the hundreds of trillions of galaxies that are out there. And that's all explained in, and he created the stars. Amen. Father, you are so incredible. Your might knows no bounds. Amen. And you do all this knowing and understanding that uh, you created all of this so that we would, I guess, just be in awe of who you are. Father, I pray that we are able to look at you and understand the God that we serve. That we are able to look at the cross and really understand the message of the cross. The, the way it, uh, I guess, Jesus sacrificed for us. The way that he was so willing. And yet he had to wrestle with that willingness in the end there. But he was so willing because he wanted it to be your will, not his own. Amen. And so, Father, I pray that as we come to the cross, that we can understand the relationship that was broken so that we might have a relationship with you. Father, that we would emulate this transparency, that we would emulate this vulnerability that Jesus had with you, and that we could show this to the rest of the world. Father, we love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.